Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Got a love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it and follow me on Instagram at ShadowLinXO and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalligators. Before we get started, just want to remind you guys to follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO. And if you want a little video shout out for yourself, a friend, a pep talk, head over to Cameo. If you're in Europe or the UK, you can now find me on Memo, M-E-M-M-O. It's because I know Cameo isn't available every place, but I'm international now, baby. Also, be sure to head over to Flays this week. We're talking about circumcised versus uncircumcised penis. And I dress up like one. What? Yes. Go check it out. So this week, you know, hmm, our mantra, I've just been kind of going around. I, I can't really think of one specific mantra for this week. So we're going to go back to our trigger word of relaxation and meditation, charcuterie. I love this word. If you're new to the podcast, you might not have heard my trigger word being charcuterie, but I had a therapist try to help me come up with like a relaxation word. If you've ever done transcendental meditation, they, uh, they use like a trigger word to like get you into that deep meditative state. And charcuterie is mine. Charcuterie is like a meat and cheese board, meat board. I have never had a bad experience with a meat board. I always have one when I'm with my friends. I'm outside in the patio. I'm on vacation. There's some crisp white wine. Da, da, da. It has only positive associations with me, right? And it has a nice melodic spikiness. Charcuterie. It's very soothing. So when I want to calm down, I say to myself, charcuterie, charcuterie. And it calms me down mostly because I have assigned that reaction to it. We can trick our brain into relaxation if we tell it, hey, we say this thing or we do this thing or we go through this ritual and you're going to calm down. Got it? And your brain's like, okay, that sounds fine to me. So because I've told my brain, hey, when I say charcuterie, you relax. My brain's like, great. I would love to relax. I have had a difficult day, right? So this is going to be our mantra. And if ever I come up with a mantra for the beginning of these podcasts and you don't like it, go to charcuterie or whatever your word is. Someone said theirs was croissant. I'm like, oh yeah, buttery and flaky. Hell yeah, croissant. Okay. So we're going to inhale through the nose. And exhale through the mouth. Really relax that jaw, relax your shoulders, tug on your earlobes. Oh yeah, that's nice. We're going to do it again. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Now today, we're going to get our questions, as usual, from the Shalligator Reddit thread. It's a great place for you guys to connect. There's almost 3,000 of you on there just posting questions, posting memes, getting advice, sharing life stories. It's just the cutest place in the world. And today, we're going to continue talking about spring cleaning. That's our second question. But our first one is going to be about playing hard to get and when that can actually start to work against you.
about a previous Shell Literature Book Club selection, The Bible, Why Men Love Bitches. And this shalligator named Vladimira, lots of A's, so I like to roll my tongue, said, I think I've reached the dark side of why men love bitches. So she said, I have discovered I have a problem. Despite absolutely loving why men love bitches and all the similar stuff, I think I've sort of convinced my mind that a lot of effort will lead to a bad relationship. Now, this may make sense if it's a hard relationship, but what I've seemed to stumble into is that as soon as I show too much care or affection, he will care less because, oh, he'll think, oh, I've got her. Like, he'll have me. I think it also might have to do with some childhood trauma, but I think it genuinely has reached a bad stage at this point. Today, my boyfriend is just not well. He's struggling with burnout. I called him in the morning. He didn't pick up. I texted him. He didn't reply. So I called him later today and we chatted for a bit. And I've never heard or seen him this devastated. But immediately, my mind went to, oh my gosh, I'm too vulnerable. He knows he has me. I shouldn't have reached out this much. Which, I mean, what the fuck? If this was my friend, I'd already be sending her flowers or doing some weird-ass stunt to make her life better. But for some reason, because it's my boyfriend, I'm hesitant? It's like I'm afraid that if I plan too much or show too much or really show how much I care, he'll be like, oh yeah, I got her. Time to move on. He's not taking me for granted, and I think he really is trying his best, but for some reason, I made this current crisis about me and my power dynamic within the relationship. And honestly, at this point, even I'm disturbed with myself. What do I do? How do I better approach my situation to not feel like too much affection will just immediately lead to him leaving? This is a really good question. And this was the big question, and I I don't even think we talked about this in a podcast or when we were reviewing the book, about like, You know, why men love bitches, it's all about like pulling back. Don't put in this grand amount of effort. If he comes over to your house, you're not cooking him a three course meal. You're making popcorn, right? Let a man pursue you. Before we get into this though, can I tell you a story about the author, Sherry Argov? So, (laughs) guys, you're gonna fucking die. She submitted like a copyright violation claim against me on YouTube and for this podcast, but like this podcast has nothing to do with YouTube. So you can tell YouTube all you want about this podcast. And they're like, I don't know, man, that's not our company. But she was really mad that in one, in a video, or I guess this podcast, I read like an excerpt from the book. She said six whole minutes, six entire minutes she read from the book that I didn't give her permission to read from. Okay. So let me get this straight. I'm not allowed to read a book that I purchased. That's interesting. I didn't know that's how books worked. I thought you were supposed to read them. I also thought authors would want you to share your experience with them. Oh, YouTube was like, we're not taking anything down. Sorry. YouTube was like very rarely on your side, but I I just thought that was like so ridiculous. And I had reached out to like her team being like, I would love to interview. I would love to have you collab. Like, would love it. We would love to hear all this like straight from the queen herself. And it was like just weird and sad that she's like, how dare you read my book that you bought and that you're encouraging other people to also buy. I don't know, man. I'm not sure you know how promotion works. But anyway, let's not let that sour our view of this book. But I just kind of had to get that off my chest because it literally just happened. And so it's like ironic you're asking me about why men love bitches. Anyway, when we went over it the first time, yeah, you guys were like, you know, now I'm almost like afraid to like let my guard down. Like when, when can I stop playing hard to get? 
And one of you shalligators responded to this posting on the Reddit thread, and you said it so well. Just the first sentence. She said, what I took away from the book wasn't that it's about playing hard to get. It's about being hard to get. You should fill your life with friends, career, fulfilling projects, and have a life that's full without a guy. But that doesn't mean you can't be there for him too. If you're really struggling with this, and I think maybe it's part of a bigger pattern, I would look into psychological attachment styles. That might give you some insight into why you feel the way you do. This is so true. And I've said this before. I can't play hard to get. I'm not a very good actress in that category. I have to be hard to get. Because if I like someone, well, yes, I will come over at 11 p.m. Um, of course, I'll accept a last minute date that's nah, not really a date. Yes, I will write you back the second you text me because you like someone. And that's just kind of human nature. So I have to have a life that simply does not allow for that bullshit. Or it covers as much of those bases as possible so that, okay, I can wait 20 minutes to write back. I don't have to do it right away. I genuinely am busy. I've got calls to make. I've got people to see. I've got shalligators to talk to. No, I'm not meeting you at 11 p.m. I'm up early for a spin class. Yeah, no, I'm not canceling that trip to go hang with like you because you got two days off. I'm already going to Mexico with my girls. I have really, really, really tried as an antidote to my own latent desperation to craft a life that does not allow for that spineless wussiness. Because like I said, it's hard when you like someone. It's all, it's all, I can play hard to get when I don't really want to get got, right? But when you want a guy, it's like, I will do whatever you want. Do you want to make crowned rack of lamb? Oh my gosh, yes, no. You just came over and like this eight course meal was just here. That's crazy. Oh my God, who could have known? So I have to have a life that doesn't allow for that. So exactly what the Shalligator wrote back, it's not about playing hard to get, it's about being hard to get. Because it's not just performative. It's not just a bluff. Like, well, here I am just walking in circles around my cul-de-sac to keep from like calling this guy back or I'm just like walking the mall so that he can't come over. No, it's about putting things in your life that make you happy. And so that when a guy comes along, you can want him. But it's not the same as needing him. I need this man to save me. And therefore, I'm going to do whatever he wants on his schedule, on his terms, all of the time. Because holy shit, please don't leave me. But you're right. When does that take kind of a toxic turn? And it can, you know? We want to be strong and independent and we don't need a guy. We want him. But we all know people, or maybe, maybe we don't, hopefully we don't, but... I have observed a lot of people, a lot of my friends who torpedo quality relationships because they're too aloof. They are too hard to get. They're not plugged into their partner. You know, I, I told you guys about this friend I had. I said it in a video or a podcast or something. Her, her boyfriend cheated on her and she was just so broken up about it. She's like, I don't understand. I was such a good girlfriend. And I'm like, Maya, you were actually a terrible girlfriend. Like, I'm being real with you. You were sarcastic and snide to him. You didn't listen to him. You bossed him around. You belittled him. But look, the consequence should have been he dumped you. He dumped your ass. You're a bad girlfriend. The consequence should never have been he stuck around and cheated, right? But that's when we were talking about cheating. But the point is, like, I have witnessed IRL people who are actually not good partners. But what makes a good or a bad partner? Well, there's been studies on this. And a study that came out a few years ago from the University of, I think, London. It was, a, it was University of England, and I trust the British. They know what they're doing in almost every category. Except for food. What's going on over there, you guys? Anyway, they found that the number one thing that makes a relationship good 
is an attitude of, when I'm in pain, the world stops and he listens. That's it. And we've talked about this before, because if you have, it doesn't matter what you tried to build on top, right? Money, sexual attraction, compatible schedules, compatible goals even. If you have a partner who's like, whatever, when you're in pain, you have a bad day, someone hurts you, you don't know what to do, you're burnt out, and they're like, man, bummer. You, it feels so much more alone than simply being alone, right? The most alone I've ever felt is when I'm in a relationship with the wrong person. Because you think you have someone who's in your corner. And it's the most isolating, jarring, horrible feeling when you're like, oh, you don't have my back. Wow, okay. Had I been single, I wouldn't have assumed that a guy has my back. I'd be like, I'm calling my friends, I'm calling my cousin, I'm emailing Shallon Lester. But I didn't do that because I thought you have my back, but you don't, right? So never ever feel like you're doing the wrong thing by giving someone that, by stopping, stopping the world and listening when they're in pain. You do that for a friend, right? And this is what the alligator said. Vladimira, she's like, if this was my friend, I'd be sending flowers, doing all these weird ass things. I'm like, same, right? We would pull up to our friends in that way for sure. And so we have to pull up that in that way for a guy. But look, I get what you're saying. It's like, when do I start to look too available? Because this is what I've done in the past when I was younger. This was my trajectory all the time. And I could see it now in hindsight so clearly. I would meet up for dates and they'd meet me and they'd be like, oh, she's this like high powered like girl about town. She's so independent. Her career is booming. Bop, bop, bop. Little did they know the desperate loser that lurked beneath, right? As soon as it seemed like I could sort of exhale in this relationship, like he liked me or we were sleeping together, baby, was I all in. I was cooking those three course meals. I was introducing him to all my friends. Like I viewed this as simply relaxing into a relationship and like letting my guard down and stuff. They viewed it as, oh, I got her. I'm not into it anymore. Or, whoa, she's so clingy. But it's because I started out so extreme. It's not, had I started out doing what I do now, which I've told you guys, is leading with the sweetness, not leading with my resume, not leading with how many fans I have, not being like that spiky, bitchy, I don't need anybody, I don't need anybody, right? With a quiet confidence instead, then me cooking dinner, well, that's not so out of character. And therefore, it's not indicative of like, oh my God, dude, she's like in love with me. No, she's in love with that loin of pork that she bought and God damn it, she's gonna cook it, Right? It doesn't mean as much because it's not such a radical shift from one end of a spectrum to another. It's a more finite, subtle shift. So that has helped me, ironically, because it's like I, I start off sweeter. That helps me to feel less vulnerable going forward because it's just more authentic, right? When I was putting on that bombastic single girl persona, that's all it was. It was, it was bombastic and it was a persona. It was, it was a lie. I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted a partner. But I was so afraid of guys knowing that because I had been taught, you know, the Samantha Jones, Sex and the City thing, like, you got to be a man eater. You, you can't need a man. You have to just be like, fuck him and dump him. Eh. And I wasn't like that. I was like 25. I wanted a boyfriend. There's nothing wrong with that. Whatever you want is fine. But it's when we start to lie to ourselves that things get twisted, Right. So here's what you're supposed to ask yourself, right? I'm too vulnerable. He knows he has me. Is this part of a larger sphere of 
problems, basically. Does he demonstrate this back and forth a lot? I mean, if, if you're like, yeah, let's go wherever you want for dinner. Is it like, you just never, you can never make up your mind. So fine, I'm gonna take you to Arby's. Like, is he doing this? Do you have a reason to think that he would think that? If so, start there, right? Because there is no amount of how you play it and, and manipulating the situation to turn a hoe into a housewife. Dudes who are like that, they are just like that. Why? Girl, who gives a shit? Who cares? Who cares if he's just not in the right frame of mind to meet someone yet? He's not over his ex. His mom traumatized him. He doesn't love me. Who cares? It doesn't matter. All roads lead to the same place. He's not plugged in. And he's only after the chase. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Right? I mean, if you want to take the Haley Baldwin approach and orient your entire life around the sick person, you know, I mean, Justin is better, but he's, no, we, we know, we know. You can, but I don't think you want to do that. But ask yourself, like, is this part of a whole? But if not, then okay. You tell yourself two things. First, we go back to, I need to stop. The world stops. My partner's in pain. I listen. I look back on when I've done that. Like, I did this recently with a guy I dated, my, like, Montana Hurt Locker. And I plugged into him hard in like a very loving and caring way, not even in a romantic way all the time, but as a friend, like I remember saying to him, like, I am here for you as like, as a friend though, like if you need me, like I'm here for you and I can see that you're in pain and things didn't end up well. And he didn't have a lot of respect for me saying that as based on his subsequent actions, but I don't regret saying that. I don't regret doing the right thing. It didn't lead to the outcome I wanted, but I can look back and say, you know what? I conducted myself the way I would want someone to conduct themselves in a relationship with me. I did the right thing. I practiced being vulnerable. And you know what? No, man, it didn't work. Maybe he did think, fuck, I got her. Who cares? I got her. Gross. You know what? I'm glad I saw that though. I'm glad he revealed himself to be a dude like that. I'm glad though that I survived it. Cause think about it. Okay, I did that. I was vulnerable. I opened up. I offered someone my heart and my love, whether it was platonic or romantic. I offered them my expertise. I said to him at one point, I'm like, I do this for a living. Do you have any idea how lucky you are? I am giving you my skill set. This is shit people pay for. Okay? And I'm giving it to you your bitch ass for free. And I maybe said it exactly like that. It was pretty mad. Anyway, I opened myself up and took an emotional risk and it didn't go well. He basically bit the hand that fed, but you know what? Whatever, man, that's his funeral. He's going to be unhealthy and douchey and non-appreciative. And I'm moving on. Glossy lips, perky tits. The world is still fine. So I don't regret it because like I said, I survived it. I learned from it and it's like, all right, it was a good practice for me to be open and vulnerable, but then learn to pull back if that wasn't reciprocated. Because in the past, I would have done the opposite. I'm going to plug in harder. Let's become super codependent, right? I did that with plenty of exes. I'm like, nope, he's going to figure it out himself. He doesn't want to go to church with me, fine. He doesn't want to go to a therapist with me, fine. He doesn't want to read this book, it's his funeral. I don't care, I'm moving forward. It sucked, but it was, again, good practice. So when you're afraid of taking these emotional risks and being too open or vulnerable or showing your boyfriend that you care, 
remind yourself, you know what? If he doesn't care back, number one, you got to see that girl. And number two, you'll survive. You will survive. But I do think that a shift has to occur when we become like boyfriend, girlfriend. Like the chase has to kind of take a different form. We're not going to be like, not calling them back, right? <laughs> you know, or like maybe ghosting on dates. Not that we should do that in the first place, but that stage has to sort of elapse and then you move into a different stage of more connectivity and deeper bonding. Again, you have to give as, you, as good as you get. If you want someone to be there for you and open up to you and listen to you, you gotta walk it like you talk it and give it to them. So the way we still play hard to get when we're in a relationship is... As the other shalligator said, fill your life with amazing things, you know, and set your boundaries. Like I told my last boyfriend, he wanted to see each other every day. I was like, I don't need to do that. Right. And I wasn't being coy about it. I was like, hanging out every day is too much for me. I need my alone time. I need to see my friends. I need to just do my own thing and not feel like I owe my time to someone every single day of the week. So here's our schedule, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever. And it wasn't coy. It wasn't behavior that was in the shadows that like, oh, where's she, what, who is she with? What is she up to? I was very upfront about it, but it was still, I was still just like a little out of reach for him and he liked it, you know? I mean, maybe it didn't, I don't know, but I liked it. And like, it, that is an, an easier and healthier and more honest way to, again, not play hard to get, but be hard to get and maintain that crucial mystery tension within a relationship so that like, you're excited to see each other when you finally have a date night. You have something to talk about at dinner. I always say this to my boyfriends, like, I don't need to talk to you every day. We can text a few times, but I don't, what do you want to hear? I, and I think I live a pretty interesting life. And still I'm like, I don't know, man, I ate a salad. I talked to my girls, like, uh, cowboy bit something. Just what, what, what else do you need to hear? Can we talk tomorrow when we see each other? I need a little bit of mystery to build up. And then the third thing is, as the shalligator also suggested, learn learn some stuff from therapists. You know, get into some therapy. If you really do think this is being fueled by something larger than this boyfriend, you know, if, if it's not him and it's not you, like, then yeah, it probably is like a psychological issue or a past trauma or whatever. And that's okay. It's one of those psychological splinters, right? A splinter, if you let it in there and fester, it feels like someone stabbed you. But it's actually something fairly small that could be dealt with easily. But the sooner you do deal with it, the quicker you're going to heal and feel better, right? A lot of times we equate opening up with, hey, someone knowing our insides and our hearts and really using that to craft very effective insults very effective, right? No one hurts us like the people who know us the best. Like no one pushes our buttons like our parents. They installed all of them, right? They know exactly what that button does because they made it. So get to the root of that. You might find that like, okay, opening up to someone when you were seven and your best friend, like you told her, yeah, one time I kissed my cousin and she went and told the entire second grade. All right, well, are you still seven? No. Are you more judicious about who you tell things to? Yes. If someone does make fun of you, are you a strong and independent person enough to be like, well, fuck you then? Yeah, man, I'm sure you are. So the outcomes we had when we were younger are not the outcomes we should expect as adults. We're completely different. We have so much more power and agency, cognitive ability. So don't tell yourself, well, 
God, it went that way when I was 10 or 15 or even 20. It's going to go that way again. No, it won't. So don't let that past inform everything that's going on in your future. And don't stop being a little bit of a bitch. So <laughs> this is one of my favorite titles that I've read here in the Shalligator Reddit thread. It's titled Horny People. Yes. I've never liked the word horny, but it's really fun. So she said, the Shalligator said, hey, y'all, I don't know if I'm the only one like this, but I don't particularly like horny or thirsty people. Like the kind that would always leave you with the club for some dude. I get it. We get lucky sometimes, but I'm friends with people who have dick on their mind all the time. It's not my vibe. And I've been friends with people who are really sexually active, but they just had an air of dignity about it. But this one friend gives me the, I want to be used. I'm so desperate. Like those kind of vibes. And I just hate it. Maybe I'm a little more frigid, but I've had my fair share of sexual encounters. And it's not the forefront of my conversations with people. Ugh, I just get annoyed. I love this question. Do you know why I love this question? Because we've been talking the last few weeks about spring cleaning, right? It's been sort of like our loose theme for the last few episodes, how to emerge from the winter and the pandemic lighter in some emotional way, getting rid of things that aren't serving us. Because in this pandemic, so many things were different. We were working from home. We were studying from fucking Zoom classes. Oh my God, I just feel so bad for you guys who've been doing that. I, oh, I watched Vince deal with it and I'm like, this looks like hell on earth. Like I could not... I could not do that. Why didn't they just call school off for an entire year? Everyone is going to be one year dumber. The entire world is held back, right? Just call a mulligan, start it over in the fall. Anyway, but the upside of all of this shaking up, of all of these things that are different and crazy is that we have the chance to kind of create our own adventure now. We can go to our boss and be like, you know what, dude, look how productive I've been at home. I'm not going back to the office except for once a week for the meeting. Let's figure this out right? We can work out different ways of living that before maybe we didn't have the time or the data or what we felt like was the agency to stand up and be like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like that. We've experienced life without FOMO. And one thing I think a lot of us have experienced is shifting dynamics with friends. How have you felt in like a sexless desert pandemic if you weren't out getting laid? Does it really put into stark perspective friends who are like, oh, no, 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 their whole identity is based on whether or not guys like them. Now, you guys know I am a red-blooded American girl and I love boys. I'm a girl. I love guys. Like, it's, you know, this is I, my favorite movie is Tombstone and the character of Wyatt Earp's girlfriend. Ugh, what is her name? Damn it. I can't believe I'm blanking on her because she's like my favorite person in the world. And she's real. She's like, I'm a woman. I like men. If that, you know, makes me unladylike, well, I guess I'm just not a lady. At least I'm honest. I was like, yes, exactly. But there is a difference between liking guys and needing to be liked by guys. And we all can drift into that category every once in a while. It's like, oh, I just want a guy to notice me and like me and I want to feel desirable. That's okay. That's human nature. But there's some people who live in that space all the time, right? And the people who do live in that space all the time are the worst friends ever, ever. I'm planning a trip with one of my girlfriends and she invited one of our other friends because 
we thought she was going to be breaking up with her boyfriend. And we're like, well, let's get her out of town and blah, blah, blah. Oh, she visited him. They're back together. And she dipped out of this trip. And we had made like a lot of different plans to include her. And like, we had sort of oriented this around her to cheer her up. And then she's like, oh, wait, we're back together. Bye. And my other friend is like, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to flip out on her. I can't take this anymore. Every brunch she was talking about Nick. Every time we went someplace, she was checking her phone constantly. Whenever he called her, Snapchatted her, she was out the door. Hurt people hurt people, right? You know, and we've all experienced friends like this. And we have probably all been friends like this. I mean, you know, because when you're in pain and you're like, there's only one thing, one person who can make me feel better. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm leaving TGI Fridays right now. Okay. I'm not staying here with the bottomless fucking jalapeno popper nachos. I'm going to meet the guy I like. Deal with it. We get into that space occasionally, but like I said, there's some people who live there and this is the time to cut these people out. This is the time to cut these people out of our lives. It is so frustrating and so disheartening and so insulting to watch yourself hemorrhage affection, your emotional currency, spend it on someone who does not appreciate it, right? You're pulling up for them. You're listening. You're giving advice. You're planning a trip with them. And they're like, oh yeah, I actually don't care. Like, bye. So this is the time to reset our friendships, right? This is the time to look at what's working and what isn't this is the time to spring clean out some people. It's never fun to break up with a friend. And I'm not saying you have to like break up with them. There's a whole dramatic thing, but this is the time to kind of put people on the back burner. Ah, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, it's tricky business to go about this because on one hand you, you don't like to be ghosted. You, You know, we all hate it when someone ghosts us, but it, is I think a little bit more normal to kind of fade out from a friend or just be less available. Oh, the club. Yeah, no, I'm not really into clubs anymore. You know, please remember that no is a complete sense. No, I don't want to do that. That's okay. If this kind of friend works better when you guys go to brunch and she can't leave you for a dick appointment, maybe stick to brunch with her or even just coffee or go get Manny Petties, right? Don't put yourself in situations where you're inevitably going to be disappointed by this person's behavior. This pandemic has showed us what's important to us. You know, what we truly, really value, what we need, not just what we want, but what we need. How much social interaction do you actually want or need? Maybe it's a lot and maybe that's a data point. Great, good for you. Maybe it's not. Okay, that's a data point as well. But we have this information. We have a valuable data collection over the last year. What are we going to do with it? Let's draw some conclusions and therefore take action upon those conclusions we draw, right? So if you're like, I don't want to be around my horny, thirsty friends, then don't. And I don't know, like I go back and forth. It's like, you don't want to have some dramatic confrontation with someone. But I also think that like at this point in our lives, we're pretty much all adults here to say like, you know, I just kind of get the feeling that you'll ditch me no matter what for any guy that comes along. If somebody I really valued said that to me, that would be a wake-up call. I'm not saying I would blindly accept it as fact, you know, but I would be very curious why they think that. Is it something I'm doing? Is it something I'm saying? 
is, are you basing this on one thing I did in 2014 that you won't let go of? Okay, then I can, again, we talk about criticism. I can look at your criticism and accept or reject it. So maybe it's worth having a few little honest conversations. You know what? I don't really want to go to the club with you because the last few times you like completely ditched me and gone home with the dude. And I want you to get laid, like be happy. But it just seems at this point, like if you aren't getting attention from a guy, like your night is ruined. Your night is worthless. And I don't feel like that. When I'm with you, I'm having a great time. I'm all about the girlfriends, whatever. But if I'm just sort of like a, a warm body so that you're not prowling the clubs alone... I mean, no. Sometimes a little splash of cold water in someone's face can go a really long way. It can really wake them up to their behavior. It's also important in a situation like this to have a diverse group of friends so that maybe your horny, thirsty friend is amusing because she's no longer 80% of your friends. Maybe now she's only 20. Sure, yeah, let's go out. She's so fun. Oh my God, talking about dick this and dick that. I love it, love it. It's funny. But hey, I've made other friends, more intellectual friends. I started that book club. I took up French lessons, right? So I'm getting more of my needs met. We get very annoyed with people when they're not meeting our needs, when we're not diversifying the portfolio. You know what I mean? This is why we get so fucking annoyed at boyfriends because we're only allowed one. So they got to hit a lot of marks. They got to check a lot of boxes. Friends, man, we can have as many as we want. Isn't that amazing? So, okay, this friend isn't your sun, moon, and stars. That's all right. Maybe she is just fun for a crazy night out. Maybe she's exactly the person you want to help plan your birthday party or make your Tinder profile or like call the morning after you have a one night stand or whatever. That's fine. But you have data about that. Look at the data you have about how this person fits in your life, about how any of your friends fit in your life. I I think I've referenced this. I'm going through kind of a friendship revolution, not just moving to Montana, you know, because I made an amazing group, but other people in my life through this pandemic, like people have gotten, and I know that it's not, it's like not their fault because this pandemic has just done so many crazy things to us emotionally, you know, but I've said before, like I have changed my whole life. I've changed my hair color for God's sakes. And to look at some of my friends who have like stagnated to a degree that I didn't even know was possible I just have nothing in common with them anymore, you know? And I'm tired of holding on to things just out of nostalgia because I look at how long I did that with guys, with hurt lockers, and it's like, dude, I feel like I've worked so hard in this last year to clear that away, to get over the biggest exes and the biggest heartbreaks and to be free in that category. And then it's like, I don't want to look around at my friendships and be like, you motherfuckers, like I'm still saddled with this. I just want to be free in all categories. And that doesn't mean like, I'm quitting all of you, screw everybody. But it's like, what's holding me down? Is it maybe a friend who I like, but I like her over text? I don't like her over the phone. I don't like her hanging out every other day or whatever. I like her over text message. Let's be a little bit more honest about that. Even if we can move one degree in terms of honesty with the people in our lives, the return on investment could be huge. I recently told a friend who loves to be on the phone and talk on the phone. I'm like, I can't do this. It's not that I don't want to know what's going on in your life. I do. But for me, talking is my product. And she's, you know, she's the opposite. She works from home. She doesn't see anyone all day. She she's like, I can go two days without speaking. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't go two hours. Like, 
My voice is my product. And so if I talk to you on the phone for an hour, that's two videos I can't do. And I know exactly how much money that costs me. And like, not to be a dick, but like, it's not worth it. You know, I'm not asking you to lose money to talk to me or catch up with me. So, you know, let's find a different way. Can we email? Can we get together the first of every month? I would love to see you in real life. Cause that is just, I don't know, going, getting out of the house, seeing someone, getting a mani-pedi. That feels more restorative to me than just like being anxious and on the phone and pacing around and panic eating because Jesus, I don't want to be on the phone. But again, we got to be honest about that. And it's difficult, but cleaning things out always is. The return on investment though, is that you're going to have more honest relationships. You're both going to be more aware that the other person is getting what they need or not. And sometimes, you know, sometimes relationships run their course. What do we always say? If someone isn't here for a reason, then they've got to just be here for a season. And that's what spring cleaning is all about. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.